E-Tidings Cosmos. Good morning, 21st Century World of Worlds. This is Radio Richard Island, coming to you from within the soundproofless studio of life itself. Thormila Falcher wrote, Unsha. I am your host, Richard McSweeney. Hear this, listener, give it here your fullness of ear. From the beginning there is breath, and upon that breath there are words. Walking along and listening to the barking of dogs out of sight, they enclosed in the back gardens of houses. One dog who had seen me passing barked at me, and the other dogs, who didn't see me or what that one dog was barking at, started barking at the one dog barking at me. Are there ideas like that in the mind, I wonder? That although they don't see what one idea sees, they bark away at it anyway, not knowing what it is barking at. In a vision of the day, a rainy day, and was standing on a rock in a hillside field, saw a young man sliding down the grass on his stomach, and he was trying to hold on to it, but it was so wet and slippery that he couldn't hold on to it, but just kept on sliding down. So I, descending from the rock, reached out and stopped him in his sliding. And I asked him why he was doing that, and he said, I'm trying to hold on to time. And at this word of his, I left go of him, to let him continue sliding away. And he safely reached the bottom of the field. He stood up and shook himself down, and walked along the bank of a river. And I watched him walking on and on in the rain, until he came to an old stone bridge. He climbed up, and went walking across the bridge, he stopped halfway and climbed up onto the battlement, and was looking down into the waters. And he remained there standing on the battlement for some time, with looking down into the river, and glancing up into the down-raining sky. I shuddered with wondering what thoughts might be running through his mind, and what I should quickly do. But something within me was telling me to remain still, and in silence be. Then of a moment he looked over up my way, and spread out his two arms, and raised them to the sky, as if to say, There is no stopping time. It just keeps flowing on and on, and carrying us with it. And he leapt down from the battlement of the bridge, and walked away off for himself, with his hands in his pockets, before eventually disappearing into a welcoming sun-spotted distance. In today's broadcast, I'll be reading from Prince Hamlet, The Republic, and the true classic of Southern Taoist fragrance. This is a reading in continuity from Prince Hamlet. How fares our cousin Hamlet? Excellent in fate, of the chameleon's dish, I eat the air promised crammed, you cannot feed Captain so. I have nothing with this answer, Hamlet. These words are not mine. No, not mine now. My lord, you played once in the university, you say? Uh, that I did, my lord, and was counted a good actor. Uh, what did you enact? 
I did enact Julius Caesar. I was killed in the capital. Brutus killed me. It was a brute part of him to kill so capital calf there. Be the players ready. I, my lord, uh, they stay upon your patience. Come hither, my dear Hamlet, sit by me. No, good mother, here's metal more attractive. Oho, do, do you mark that? Lady, shall I lie in your lap? No, my lord, I mean my head upon your lap. Ay, my lord, do you think I meant country matters? I think nothing, my lord. That's a fair thought, to lie between maids' legs. What is, my lord? Uh, nothing. You are merry, my lord. Who I? I, my lord. Oh, God, you're, you're, you're only jig-maker. What should a man do but be merry? For look you, how cheerfully my mother looks, and my father died within these two months. Nay, it is twice two months, my lord. So long. Nay, then, let the devil wear black, uh, for I'll have a suit of sables. Oh, heavens, die two months ago, and not forgotten yet? Then there's hope. A great man, mem man's memory may outlive his life half a year, but by your lady he must build churches. Then, or else... Shall he suffer, not thinking on, with the hobby-horse whose happy that is, for oh, for oh, the hobby-horse is forgot? Uh, what, what means this, my lord? Marriage is a minching malicho. It means mischief. Belike this show imports the argument of the play. This is a reading of Plato's The Republic, according to my own liking, a liking that is evolving itself into a soliloquy of a myself talking to a myself. And what about the just man? In what action and with respect to what work is he most able to help friends and harm enemies? In my opinion, it is in making war and being an ally in battle. All right, However, to men who are not sick, a doctor is useless. True. And to men who are not sailing a pilot. True, yes. And then, to men who are not at war, is the just man useless? Hardly so, in my opinion. Then is justice also useful in peacetime? It is useful. And so is farming, isn't it? Yes. For the acquisition of the fruits of the earth? Yes. And further, is shoemaking also useful? Yes. You would say, I suppose, for the acquisition of shoes. Certainly. What about justice, then? For the use or acquisition of what would you say it is useful in peacetime? Contracts. Do you mean by contracts partnerships or something else? Partnerships, of course. Then is the just man a good and useful partner in setting down drafts, or is it the skilled player of drafts? The skilled player of drafts. In setting down bricks and stones, is the just man a more useful and better partner than the house-builder? Not at all. But in what partnership, then, is the just man a better partner than the harp-player, just as the harp-player is better than the just man when one has to do with notes? In money matters, in my opinion. Except, perhaps, in using money, when a horse must be bought or sold with money in partnership, then, I suppose, the expert on horses is better, a better partner. Isn't that so? 
It, it looks like it. And further, when it's a ship, the shipbuilder or pilot is better. It seems so. Then, when gold or silver must be used in partnership, in what case is the just man more useful than the others? When they must be deposited and kept safe. Do you mean when there is no need to use them then, and they are left lying? Certainly. Is it when money is useless that justice is useful for it? I'm afraid so. And when a pruning hook must be guarded, justice is useful both in partnership and in private, but when it must be used in vine culture. It looks like it. Will you also assert that when a shield and a liar must be guarded and not used, justice is useful, but when they must be used, the soldier's art and the musician's art are useful? Necessarily. And with respect to everything else as well, is justice useless in the use of each and useful in the, its uselessness? I'm afraid so. Then justice, my friend, wouldn't be anything very serious if it is useful for useless things. Let's look at it this way. Isn't the man who is cleverest at landing a blow in boxing or any ki other kind of fight also the one cleverest at guarding against it? Certainly. And whoever is clever at guarding against disease is also cleverest at getting away with producing it. In my opinion, at any rate. And of course, a good guardian of an army is the very same man who can also steal the enemy's plans and his other dispositions. Certainly. So, of whatever a man is a cleverer guarder, guardian, he is also a cleverer thief. It seems so. So, that if a man is cleverer at guarding money, he is also cleverer at stealing it. So the argument indicates at least. This is an interpretation, after my own fashioning, of some lines from the true classic of Southern Taoist fragrance. No three-star visitor spoke to me, saying, Humaculate of error, what stories, what anecdotes, what insights do you bring to this new dawn? It was oft told, and then as oft again, long, long forgotten about, before being retold, that there was once a man who lived in the high hills of the south, who was of an unbelievably ugly countenance, though not at all a frightening one. He lived with his parents-in-law, and they were so awed by his depths of knowledge and wisdom that they would be reluctant to be out of his gaze for too long. For being in his presence, they felt ever so contented. When his wife-to-be first set eyes on him, she fled into a nearby grove, not out of any fear of him, but she just didn't know how to control her emotions in his presence. She loved him at first sight with a love that was total. And when she returned to her parents, she told them she had met the man of her life, the man who she wanted to be her husband. When they first set eyes on him, they were lost for words, and it was only later that they could begin to try to answer their own question to themselves. How could ugliness be so stunningly beautiful. The king and queen of the landry, having heard of it, 
went to meet him for themselves to see just how contradictory a person he was. When they first set eyes on him, they were as if spellbound to the ground, for they could not move a muscle. Once they had recovered from their initial reaction upon seeing him, and they, with listening to his words, invited him and his wife and parents-in-law to come stay in the palace for a while, that they may listen more to his words on so many different things. Now, he had not stayed in the palace two days, when both the king and the queen were completely captivated by his depths of knowledge and wisdom, and by the utter beauty of his voice and expressions. And before they knew it, it only being just three weeks, they offered him the rulership of the Landry. He was saddened with the offer, for he had no need for such things, but out of courtesy he accepted it. Then early of a dawn, it being no more than seventy-nine days after having received the rulership of the Landry, he, with taking his wife and parents-in-law, left the rulership and the palace and returned to their home. And with the king and the queen by midday having learnt of this, they well understood why he would want to leave, why he would want to return with his wife and parents-in-law, to live in peace and simplicity, in their home sweet home in the countryside. In a dawn reverie of this new day, meditated I on what an immortal self of mine did say, did lovingly relay way back in days of long, long, long gone by. O mortal self of mine, when with living in your own realm and time, your steps will hold closely to your paths, your feet will not slip. All right, I will leave it at that for today. Enjoy taking very good care of yourself and those around you. Be ever so grateful for your many blessings. And spare a thought, too, for peoples living in faraway places, in all different kinds of situations, often very difficult and not at all of their own making. You have been listening to an Irish philosopher of the natural kind bringing radio to the internet via Radio Richard Ireland on the air globally for about 15 minutes Monday to Friday and occasionally on the weekends. The script format of today's broadcast will be available at a future date on AuthenticClosetDramaScripts.com It is truly an honor to have your listening. May you be a blessing unto yourself by way of your past, by way of your present, and by way of your future. Sloan, August Banach, Lett.